0: Riverside Church is no stranger to strong leaders. Located on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, it is here that Martin Luther King Jr. preached his famous Beyond Vietnam sermon, and Nelson Mandela addressed the nation. However, on the morning in March, when I sat in this beautiful historic building Alongside of thousands of other educators, the speaker who stood before us was a plainly dressed man wearing his trademark fedora. Some people knew him from his TED Talk, but the majority of us had never heard of Drew Dudley. Drew began his presentation by asking for a show of hands. Those people who considered themselves to be leaders. Let's do that now. If you consider yourself to be a leader, raise your hand. Nice. That day, in a packed sanctuary that seats nearly 2,000 people, very few of us raised our hands. Kind of amazing, since most of us were educators or school-based administrators. Drew went on to say that this was not unusual, that he gives these talks all around the country, and the same results happen. He attributed this to our lofty view of leadership we somehow think that in order to truly be a leader, we must hold some position of leadership, some kind of appointment. However, Drew Dudley challenged us to to be leaders every day, to see leadership in a different way. Drew says that a person who does something To fundamentally make the life of another person better is a leader. In a time when many of those who are in positions traditionally considered to be ones of leadership are constantly making less than stellar choices, this definition of leadership is one that I find comforting and embrace wholeheartedly. Sometimes, leadership looks like making a difference in the lives of others. I was also introduced to another less traditional view of leadership in a staff development session recently. Some of you may be familiar with the YouTube video titled, First Follower, Leadership Lessons from the Dancing Guy. In this video, Derek Sivers shows how a movement is created. He begins with what appears to most as some crazy guy dancing in a field at what we are to assume is an outdoor concert event. Sivers says this about the dancing guy and those who eventually follow him. A leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional, and this is key. You must be easy to follow. Now comes the first follower, a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone how to follow. Notice that the leader embraces him as an equal, so it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them. Plural. Notice he's calling to his friends to join in. It takes guts to be the first follower. You stand out and brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. (laughs) If the leader is the flint... The first follower is the spark that makes the fire. The second follower is a turning point. It's proof that the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut, and it's not two nuts. (laughs) Three is a crowd, and a crowd is news. Sometimes our leadership doesn't come from being first. Sometimes it's about recognizing that someone has a good idea, an important idea, and being willing to stand with them, to be the first or second follower. In doing so, we validate the ideas of the leader, and as Cyver says, we help turn the dancing guy from a lone nut into a leader. Recently, We've seen more and more examples of everyday people who, while practicing, or I'm sorry, participating in everyday actions, have shown great acts of leadership. After the election results came in on November 8th, Teresa Shook says she went to bed discouraged and woke up feeling worse the next day, thinking, how could this be? And she was just sad and dumbfounded. I think many of us felt the same. Shook, the retired attorney and grandmother, who was living in Hawaii, did what so many of us do every day. She turned to Facebook. On November 9th, Teresa Shook created a Facebook event, asking people to join her in a march on Washington. When she went to bed that night, she had 40 responses. When she woke up the next morning, there were over 10,000. What started as one woman's call to action in response to her despair over the results of the election evolved into one of the largest, if not the largest, protests in U.S. history. The Women's March in Washington, D.C., spurred other events all over the 50 states and around the world on every continent. One woman's idea, one spark that ignited a flame. Sometimes leadership looks like ideas. When I volunteered to do this sermon in January, I had no idea what would happen over the course of the next few weeks or months. I was looking forward to Valentine's Day, as so many of us do, planning ways to show my affections for my husband and children. What gifts would I buy? What would I make for dinner that night? Never did I dream that our dinner conversation would involve school shootings and a massacre in Parkland. Once again, we as parents were forced to have the what-if conversations with our children. What if a shooter came into your school? Where would you hide? How do you escape? If you have to fight, what weapons do you have around you? We've had these conversations far too often, and our children have been forced to grow up around this issue in such a way that it seems almost normal. It's not normal. As Edna Chavez said at the march um, for our lives yesterday, I learned to duck from bullets before I learned to read. Kids should not have to think of an escape plan when they enter a classroom. They should not have to worry about how to survive such horrific events as these. And yet they do. Within a few days of the Parkland shooting, we received word of a threat at my daughter's school. All of those what-if conversations took on a whole new meaning. We debated letting the girls stay home from school the next day, but in the end decided to send them. I dropped them off that morning and cried all the way to work, where I then had to pull it together and face my own classroom of students. Sometimes leadership looks like having the courage to do everyday things even when you're scared. Soon after, students began to talk about walkouts. You could hear the rumblings in the hallways. Our school board debated this issue, and a decision was made that walkouts would be considered a disruption to the learning environment. As teachers, we were given our directions on how to handle any such events. This also, once again became the conversation in my kitchen at home. My husband and I told our girls that the decision was theirs to make. While we could not get them excused from consequences, whatever that might be, we would support them. We theorized about what those consequences would be, and we discussed how this is always the risk of any act of civil disobedience. We talked about Martin Luther King and Gandhi, and we agreed that sometimes the need to stand up outweighed the consequences. However, at that time, neither of the girls committed to walking out of their classrooms and only would say that they were considering it. Then, on March 14th, at about 915 I got a text message from Emma. The message says, There's a walkout at school today. I think I'm going to do it. I just wanted you to know. A couple of minutes later, I got a message from Grace. There's a walkout at school today. I think I'm going to do it. I think Emma is too. I just wanted you to know. My response to them was simply, I support you and I love you. And then I held my breath and waited. So many things could go wrong. Later that morning, I got another series of messages. It's over. We're all safe. Don't know what the consequences will be but I'm glad I did it at home that night when I asked them what made them decide to participate in the walkout both girls had similar things to say I just had to I had to let those kids in Parkland know that I stand with them that they're not alone sometimes leadership looks like walking out of your classroom And sometimes it looks like holding your breath. When I volunteered to do this sermon, I could not have imagined the events that would unfold over the last few weeks and months. And I certainly never imagined I would be standing before you today after participating in the March for Our Lives. Friends, I have to tell you, I have glimpsed our future leaders. And I, like Glenda, am filled with tremendous hope for our country. In the midst of their grief, these students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, stood up and called out politicians Who, for decades, have watched as time and again children are brutally murdered in our schools. These kids wrote songs, held press conferences, and town hall meetings. They stood with such courage, toe to toe, with elected officials and asked them to promise not to take any more money from the NRA. They stood up and they said enough is enough. Many people tried to silence them. They said they were too young to have opinions like these and must be fed this information um, from their parents and from the, the left wing. They were accused of being actors who had been put there to cause media hype at which these students called B.S. And when they were told in the days after the shooting that this was not the time to discuss gun control, they responded, then meet us in Washington on March 24th. March for our lives, much like the Women's March, started with an idea with a meeting of two, of 10 students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. At the second meeting, there were 30 students, and by the third meeting, there were over 100. The, the students from um, MSD organized and led this event. The last count I saw before I went to bed last night was that there were over 800,000 people who attended the march in D.C. This march also spurred marches in all 50 states and again around the globe. At the march in D.C., we heard from about 20 different speakers, all under the age of 18. Here is one thing that shines through for me in the events yesterday. The students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas owned up to their privilege, their affluence, and their position. Critics have said that this group has gotten the attention that they have because they are primarily white, middle to upper class kids. Instead of brushing this aside, as would have been easy to do, the students talked about it more than once. But they didn't just talk about it. They also invited other young people whose lives had been altered by gun violence in their homes, their streets, and their communities. These students came from Chicago, L.A., New York, and Washington, D.C., The students at MSD reached out and made this an inclusive event and took on more than just school shootings. They recognized that some have been fighting this fight for gun battle, or fighting this battle over gun control with little or no recognition because of their race or economic status. At a time when it would have been so easy to make this event all about Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and school shootings, the organizers, students under the age of 18, decided instead to include those who have been marginalized. Sometimes leadership looks like reaching out, And giving others a place to share their voice and their stories. As I stood in the crowd yesterday, at times barely able to move because we were so close to one another, I looked around and saw people my own age, some teachers like me. I saw older people carrying signs stating they were grandparents. And I saw lots and lots of kids and youth. I watched as this younger generation waved their signs with such purpose. I watched as they chanted, vote them out, enough is enough, and never again. I watched as they promised to vote as soon as they were old enough. And I watched as they laughed at the lighter moments and wiped away tears from being filled with empathy and compassion for the pain of the members of their own generation. Sometimes leadership looks like standing together, sending the message that I see you, I feel your pain, and I am with you. Sometimes leadership looks like unity. Recently, Reverend Alice said something to me that's really stuck with me. She said that when the love inside of you meets with the hurt and brokenness of the world, we find meaning and fulfillment. I would add that we also find our opportunities for leadership. And so I ask each of you, what does your heart call you to do? Where is that sweet spot for you? What would happen if each of us approached our lives as if every day were an opportunity for leadership? The kind of leadership that leaves another person's life fundamentally better whether it's as the lone nut, a first follower, or as someone who has the courage to go about their daily life even when it's scary. We each have the capacity for leadership. Where does the love inside of you meet with the brokenness and hurt in the world? May we find those opportunities and seize them each and every day. May we work to create a world that is beyond what we can imagine. And as we go, may love always be our guide. May it be so. Please stand and join in singing hymn number 131, Love Will Guide Us.